Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. The quality of mercy is not strained is said to be one of the greatest quotes from William Shakespeare's works collectively. This monologue appears in the 16th century play by Shakespeare, The Merchant of Venice. In the play, a Jewish moneylender, Shylock, provides a large loan to Antonio, who is unable to pay off the debt. To defend Antonio's concern, Portia comes into the play. In the famous trial scene of the drama, she makes this speech, begging Shylock for mercy. This one's for you, Jim Meadows. <laughs> the quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesseth him that gives and him that takes. Tis mightiest in the mightiest. It becomes the throned monarch better than his crown. His scepter shows the force of temporal power, the attribute to awe and majesty, wherein doth sit the dread and fear of kings. But mercy is above this sceptered sway. It is enthroned in the hearts of kings. It is an attribute to God himself. And earthly power doth then show likest gods when mercy seasons justice. And from scripture, we have Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And many think that this beatitude came from Proverbs 14, 21. The one who dishonors the poor sins, but the one who shows mercy to the poor is blessed. Boo! Did I get you? Today is the day that we intentionally try to scare each other. And if you were standing where I am right now, you would be a little scared because I see a ton of masks and there's one individual over here in particular that has a mask that is truly um, scary looking. Good job. But this is the day. This is the day that we intentionally scare each other. Some people do not like to be frightened, but if we're honest, I think all of us enjoy being a little scared every once in a while. Occasionally, I will scare someone either at work or my wife at home. And what's amazing is when you first scare them, there's the, just this moment of startled and a little bit of anger, and then it turns into laughter. And it's at that moment we begin to realize that we respond in different ways to fear. And it's not something you do intentionally. It just literally happens. Some of us like to be afraid, so we ride roller coasters, or we try different things because it makes us feel more alive. 
when you feel a little bit of fear going through a haunted house, all of a sudden all your your senses are heightened and you become more aware of what's going on around you. And so each of us are afraid of different things. We have different phobias that we experience in life. My question for you today is, are you afraid of God? Now, before you quickly answer that question and say, no, stop and think about it. Are you afraid of God? And if you are, to what degree? I imagine in my mind that a lot of Christians are afraid of God. And this beatitude that we're looking at today is one of the reasons why we have this fear. This is the only beatitude that is what we call reciprocal, in the idea being that by, it says, blessed are those who are merciful, for in return you will receive mercy. It's the only one that literally says, if you do this, you'll get it back. And so I think many Christians, when they look at this beatitude, they like the idea of being merciful so they can receive mercy. And for a lot of Christians, the source of mercy that they want to receive is from God. So if you are merciful to other people, then in turn, God will be merciful to you. So it's almost like playing your odds. And the odds are that if I'm kind and compassionate to other people, then God will be kind and compassionate to me. And throughout the Bible, we can find so many examples of where it says that God is a merciful God, that he's forgiving, that he is kind, that he is compassionate. And that is what God in turn asks for us as human beings. But when you read the Bible very carefully, you begin to realize that there is a time limit on God's mercy. Scattered throughout the Old Testament and parts of the New Testament, we have this idea that God is merciful. God is forgiving. But eventually, God's going to stop doing that. And that will be on the day of judgment. Now, this shouldn't surprise us that either Jesus or his followers attributed this idea back to Jesus, this idea of a judgment, that eventually in the future there will be an accountability between you and God, that you will have to stand before the judgment seat. The writer of the Gospel, John, captures this idea in chapter 12, verse 48, When he says, there is a judge for the one who rejects me, and Jesus here is speaking, and does not accept my words, the very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. Now, if you read that text, it becomes quite clear that there will come a time when judgment stops. I mean, I'm sorry, when mercy stops and judgment steps in. And so now is the time 
to make sure you end up on the right side. So that's maybe the motivation for this beatitude, is the reason why people are merciful and kind and compassionate is because they kind of keep their fingers crossed, hoping that in turn God will be merciful to them, especially at the time of the judgment. And again, this shouldn't surprise us because this is part of the Jewish tradition. But here's my question for you this morning. Is this an idea that we want to continue to hold on to? Do we want to accept this idea that someday we will stand before God and receive judgment? Now, there are some individuals will say, well, you have to believe it because it's in the Bible. Well, the reality is when you read the Bible, there are many things that we kind of wink our eye at. It's like, yeah, we see it, but yeah, no, not really. So in my mind, I ask myself the question, what if there was no judgment? What if that when we die, whatever happens to us happens to each and every one of us equally? Would not that be the greatest form of mercy? Would not that be the greatest expression of compassion? So, if you play with that idea that God is compassionate and it is not temporary, it is not time-limited, that there is no judgment at the end of time, then what is our motivation to be merciful to other people. If you take away the fear element, why in the world should we be kind to each other? Why shouldn't we be ego-driven, always looking out for myself, making myself the priority, taking care of my needs? Because if I don't look out for number one, who will? Is it possible that the motivation for this beatitude of showing mercy, of being kind and compassionate to other people, is because we become aware of the reality that we are dependent on other people? Think back upon your life. How many times did you find yourself at some point in your life where you were in a very difficult situation, where you weren't sure how you were going to deal with it, how you were going to face it. What did you do? Can you remember that maybe someone else was willing to step up and help you? either providing financial support, material support, emotional, psychological support. If that is the case, then you will remember how dependent you have been throughout your life on other people to give you care. And in turn, we demonstrate that care for other people. That becomes our motive. 
There was an Italian priest by the name of Thomas Aquinas. And he believed that the greatest form of mercy that the vast majority of individuals experience comes from their parents. A man named Sean Floyd, in writing about Thomas Aquinas and his teaching, says the following. Thomas Aquinas emphasized our obligation to our parents. Why? Aquinas states that there is no benefactor that confers a benefit equal to that which a person receives from his or her parents. Indeed, parents are for the most of us. And again, please understand that both Floyd and I want to emphasize that point. For the most of us, parents are our primary educators, they're our caregivers, and our comforters. He goes on to say, for this reason, Aquinas thinks that for the sake of moral equity, we ought to return our parents' beneficence before that of others. Just remembering that our imperfect parents, they still cared for us. That's why we're here today. They kept us safe. And Thomas Aquinas would say that because your parents showed you mercy, you now ought to show mercy to your parents. And what's amazing about what Thomas Aquinas says is he says that our mercy starts in our inner circle. What's the use of being kind to the stranger when you can't be kind to those you live with? What's the use of, of showing compassion and, and giving to other people and organizations, but ignoring those who are within your wider circle, your family and your friends? Thomas Aquinas says that if we would show mercy to those that are we are closest to first, it would make a world of difference in our world. And then the, the circle slowly expands and grows. And so the motivation for being merciful is not hoping that someday you might get mercy from God and be okay. Rather, your motive for being merciful is because you realize that other people have been kind and compassionate to you. Think back about the time that you were in a drive-thru. One that always comes to my mind is Starbucks. But imagine as you're going through Starbucks and you come to the window and the barista looks at you and says, uh, no charge today. And you kind of look at them inquisitively wondering why. And they said, well, the person in front of you they paid for your, your coffee. The vast majority of time, 
when that happens to me, I in turn say, well, I'll take care of the person behind me. And I promise you, I don't look in my rearview mirror and count how many heads are in the car. It's what we call pay it forward. You do an act of kindness because you have received kindness. We are so connected to each other that that is what creates a civil society, is that we show each other kindness and compassion. A woman by the name of Lily Hardy in 1916, she wrote a novel entitled The Garden of Delight. And this is what she said. You don't pay love back. You pay it forward. And that's where this whole idea of paying it forward came about. Because one writer understood the reality that you can't pay love back. It's not something you owe someone. But you can pay it forward. And that becomes the motivation for this beatitude. Blessed are the merciful. Why? Because they understand that they are dependent upon other human beings for their survival. So they, in turn, are merciful. It's this huge circle that keeps going and going and going. So this is your opportunity right now to commit to this week to being more merciful to other people. That may mean being a little bit more patient, a little bit more kind, a little bit more compassionate, because you understand that we all need one another, not only just to survive, but to thrive. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at BeatitudesChurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.